Welcome to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I'm your host, Melissa Brunetti. In this second season of Mind Your Own Karma, we're tackling the subject of adoption. Yes, adoption most of the time is a wonderful experience. You have the generous birth parents, the excited adoptive parents, and this lucky little baby. Everyone lives happily ever after, right? But what I want you to know is there's so much more to these stories. I'm an adoptee myself, and I want to bring all sides of the adoption journey to you in hopes to educate you and to bring understanding to this subject. We're about to get real and raw here, so let's dive right in. Welcome back to another episode of the Adoption Chronicles. I'm so excited about these episodes this season. And I hope you are too. If you know of anyone that is touched by adoption or thinking about adopting or even being foster parents, this is the podcast for them. So please rate, comment, and share the podcast if you think that there is someone out there that needs to hear it. We are really going to dive in and just be honest with what um, really happens in adoption and how it affects everyone involved even extended family. So here we go. I am going to dive into my adoption a little bit. And I did find some of the information from my adoption in some records that I had filed away. So what I did was I pulled out, it looks like um, the title of it says circumstances of placement. And so I think this is something that came with my file to my adoptive parents, kind of the unidentifying information uh, on my birth mother and birth father. And I barely read any of it um, because I wanted to read it fresh for you guys um, without reading it first so that you can get my first reactions on it. Um, And then interestingly enough, I have another paper that was sent to my parents in 1986 And I'll get into that um, when we, uh, after we read this first circumstances of placement. So here goes. Your birth parents met while in high school and dated for two years. After one semester in college, your father enlisted in the army and was situated in Guam. It was during a 30-day leave in June of 1967 that your mother became pregnant. The pregnancy was not confirmed, however, until September, and your mother wrote immediately to your father. Your father got an emergency leave and came home in October to marry your mother. His parents reportedly refused to consent to the marriage. He was 19 years old, but your parents went to Reno anyway. According to your mother, the judge in Reno refused to marry your parents because they were without parental consent. They returned to California telling everyone that they were married because this is what their friends were expecting. Only your mother's parents were informed of the true situation. Your father returned to South Carolina where he was stationed by that time and arrangements were made for your mother to meet him and marry. Since the laws in South Carolina did not require a man to be 21 years of age. When your father returned to South Carolina, however, he wrote to your mother stating he had changed his mind and asked her not to write to him. For several months, your mother was confused about what had happened. Your mother was never able to formulate any clear plans during the period of her pregnancy. She wanted very much to keep you and hoped that the difficulty with your father would be cleared up and he would return to marry her. 
You were born on March 22, 1968. Your mother named you in the hospital using your father's last name. Your mother wanted very much to take you home and had prepared herself for those feelings. Instead, she placed you in a temporary foster home while she took time to make a definite decision. Your father arrived in town shortly after your birth. He did not see you. He did have a long talk with your mother, who was able to finally accept the fact that the relationship was over. Your mother realized that her relationship with your father was not as relevant a factor in making her decision about adoption as she had initially thought. She was still confused about her decisions and began seeing a counselor regularly. On May 23, 1968, your mother came into the agency by appointment and signed the relinquishment papers. She was somewhat tearful but controlled. She asked to be notified when placement occurred. On June 13, 1968, the social worker wrote your mother to inform her of your placement and provided her with general information about your adoptive parents. Your mother contacted the social worker in a letter dated September 22, 1968. She was back in college and expressing concern about how the placement was working out. Your mother's next contact with this agency was in 1986, when she contacted the agency requesting information about you. As previously stated, your mother signed a waiver on July 28, 1986. She also provided the agency with a letter written specifically to you as well as information on her medical history. There has been no additional contact from your mother since August 1986. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact me. Sincerely, Alameda County Social Services. So now that I've read this whole thing through, I think I know, obviously this isn't something that came in my adoption packet because it's talking about um, 1986. So, um, I think what this is, is in the early nineties, I had contacted some detectives and these ladies, I must've found them. I think I told you in my first episode from the newspaper or something, they were called the Snoop sisters. And that is what they did was they investigated people who were looking for their birth family or their child that they gave up for adoption and so I hired these ladies because literally all that was available was like looking through a phone book. And I had found out that my mom had contacted uh, my doctor and my parents in 1986. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't find out till later. Um, so I was wondering, like, what happened to her? You know, was she still alive? And was it really something uh, critical that I should know? And that's just one of the things about being adopted when your records are sealed and things like that, when medical things come up in your biological family, you are not notified of that. And those are the kind of some scary things that you need to know sometimes. And that's one of the things that I really um, think needs to change with adoption laws. But I mean, because sometimes they will not unseal records, even when it's something medical. So, um, this is probably something that those ladies had uncovered and sent to me because it says, um, after it says your, the, your mother's contact was in 1986 and basically she hasn't, um, contact, there's been no additional contact from her since August of 1986. 
So this is kind of an updated version of my unidentifiable um, records that they are allowed to give out to us in California. So I think that's where I got this paperwork. Um, but the next thing that I want to read, because I remember my birth mother saying that the adoption agency had lied to her about a couple things. And even my birth father, when I found him, they had also lied to him about a few things too. So I want to see, I have a letter now, the letter that my mom wrote in July of 1986 to the adoption agency, because as soon as I turned 18, which is in, was in March of 1986, my mother did put in some kind of letter to the adoption agency saying that if I was looking for her, that it was okay to contact her. And that might also be in this second letter that she, um, gave, I believe she gave this letter to the adoption agency. And so she gave me a copy of it when I found her. But um, let's see if any of what she says in this letter is contradictory. So this is dated July 27th, 1986. So I was 18 at the time she wrote this letter. Dear Jennifer, I don't know the name your adoptive parents gave you. So I'll call you by the name I gave you at birth. I'm your birth mother, and I realize that it must be quite a shock for you to hear from me. I am sorry if this upsets or disrupts your life in any way. I have had some serious medical problems that appear to be genetic and felt along with my physician that you should have a right as well as a need to be contacted and informed of the implications in regards to your own health. Although this contact was arranged in order to provide you with medical information, I want you to know that I am available to answer any of your questions. If you decide that you would like to contact me, I will welcome you warmly. I love you very much, and giving you up was not something I had wanted to do, nor was it done for my convenience, but because I wanted you to have a better life than what I could have provided for you. I had no support from family, friends, your father, or his family. Back then, the pressures were great on unwed mothers to put their babies up for adoption. I tried desperately to find a way to support us, but was finally defeated. It was the hardest time of my life. I finally told myself that my love for you and my need to have you with me were not what was truly important for you. I wanted you to have a good life with every opportunity available. This is making me a little emotional. You were such a beautiful baby, and I was so proud of you that I felt your adoptive family would love you very much and be proud of you, too. I hope to have the chance to explain this time of my life and yours in so many details about your beginnings and genetic heritage someday. Sorry. I know that you consider the people who raised you to be your parents, and I do not want to interfere or disrupt your family relationships in any way. I live quite far away from the Bay Area now and married and have two sons, your half-brothers, ages seven and two. Although my life has been filled with many things these past 18 years, I have never forgotten about you. I would like to know about the person you've grown up to be. 
I have wondered so many things for so many years and truly hoped and prayed that you are having a good life. Please be assured that there still exists a special place in my heart for you. I do not know exactly what my neurologist will say in his letter or how complete the information will be, and it concerns me that you may be left with questions or fears. Dr. Knox believes that there exists the possibility that I've inherited the same medical conditions that my mother had. Since we are talking about genetics, this does directly affect you also. I would like to tell you that I remember what I remember about my mother's illness and describe my current health problems to you. I never knew that my mother's illness may have genetic impl implications for me or my children until July of 1985. She was diagnosed as having multiple, multiple sclerosis in approximately 1963. For perhaps 30 years prior to that diagnosis, she had sought medical help for numerous health problems. She had a very low energy level, was tired most of the time. She had migraine headaches, joint pain, general weakness, and eventually developed problems in mobility and in general body functioning. The doctor spent many years focusing on solving her specific complaints, and it didn't occur to them at the time that they were the result of a general deterioration of the nervous system. She was totally disabled for the last four years of her life and died in 1967 of a cerebral hemorrhage which was considered an expected complication from her weakened condition. She was 53 years old at the time of her death. It seemed that a lot more is known about these neurological diseases today than 20 years ago. My neurologist also feels that my mother may have been misdiagnosed. Eventually, 20 years ago, people were with neurological problems were often told that they had MS when it was not a medically confirmed diagnosis. The physical problems I am having now clearly begin to show up during my last pregnancy three years ago. I began to experience extreme fatigue, periods of weakness, and pain in my hip joints. I was reassured that this would all clear up after I had the baby. I did improve after my son's birth, but I never totally recovered. I just assumed that I would continue to improve slowly. Another symptom that soon appeared was similar to tendonitis and caused me to lose some movement in my hips and legs. This was misdiagnosed for about 18 months before Dr. Knox found it was actually an atrophy caused by my nervous system degenerating. Currently, I'm experiencing an improvement in my levels of pain less and energy more over what my condition was in December of last year. During that time, I was hospitalized and really wondered whether I would be able to take care of my family any longer. At times, I was so weak that I could not even hold up my head. I was too ill to even start to try and contact you. So you see how wonderful it is that I am able to write you this letter now. Although it does slow me down, I do manage to care for myself and my family. I just thank the Lord that I am able to do so many things that I never thought I would be able to do again. I know I must take good care of myself in order to keep my condition maintained as it is, and I regret quite a number of years after your birth that I did not have good nutrition or sleep habits. I believe I'd be healthier today if I had thought more back then about my health. I want to encourage you to take good care of yourself now. I understand that neurological problems occur more frequently among Scandinavian people than other nationalities. I'm 100% Danish. All of my grandparents came from Denmark, other than my mother. I can't find anyone in my family that has had neurological problems. It is common on both sides of my family to live past 90, being healthy and independent. 
Your father's family was mostly German, and there was no indication of any neurological problems there. I knew him for two years before you came to be, but haven't had contact with him since the time of your birth. Back then, all members of his family seemed healthy in every way. Just before your birth, I questioned his mother about their family medical history, and she assured me there was no problems. I know that you may need some time to decide if now is the right time for you to contact me. I understand this. I just pray that the years have not given you cause to be angry with me. If there is resentment, I hope you will use this opportunity to help resolve it. I care about your well-being and happiness. It would be a possible help to me medically if you would let me know how your health has been these last 18 years. I sincerely hope that you have been healthy in every way, but know that you may be able to provide clues to a diagnosis of my condition also. When I was 18, I seemed to be in good health except for being low on energy at times and a rather slow runner, but not athletically inclined. If you decide you want your reply to remain anonymous, I'm sure it can be arranged through the agency. I have signed a waiver of confidentiality, so if you want to contact me directly, you can do so. I don't know how to contact you again, so we'll try to have faith that this letter will reach you. There have been many times over the years that I have thought about the possibility of us making contact, but I never imagined that it would be under these circumstances. I could write so much more, but don't want to force information on you. If you do want to correspond, I hope your parents will sign the waivers necessary for us to be able to do so. I want to be considerate of their feelings and reassure them that my concern is for your peace of mind for all of us. Sincerely. No name. <laughs> no name on the paper. So yeah, that was kind of crazy. <laughs> um, I haven't read, read these in a long time, so, um, I didn't really know what was in them. So yeah, the second one was mostly medical stuff. Um, not a lot of inf other information, but, um, yeah, I think that was her way of kind of being able to reach out to the agency in a way that they would allow her to do so um, by using this medical thing. And I mean, I get, I think, yeah, she really did want to see if I had any of these um, things or anything going on. But I think more over, she really wanted a way to contact me and find a way for me to contact her. But again, that's one of the things that can be so frustrating for an adoptee is, you know, what if I got this letter and I, and she never contacted the agency again, and I would have never known what happened to her. I would have never known if she was still alive. Like they would have not had that information unless somebody had contacted them. And I don't think anybody would have, to be honest. Um, I know a little bit more about um, the my why story, I was called the why story, why, why you were given up. Um, so my birth mother was pregnant and six months into her pregnancy is when her mother passed away. And as I remember the story that she told me that her father basically said that he was not going to help her in any way. And he remarried like before I was even born. So within three months, I think of his wife passing he was already remarried and going on with his life and basically told my mom, you're on your own. I'm, I'm not helping you. My mom was a college student. As she said, my dad was getting ready to go into uh, the army and go to Vietnam. He ended up going to Vietnam. And the way my mom tells the story was that my dad's 
mother, my birth dad's mother, had basically planted a little seed in his brain that maybe this child isn't yours. How do you know it's yours? And so that's when he decided to break it off with my mom and send her that letter. And according to my birth mother, she had to basically sue him for money to help pay for her hospital bills for when she had me and that she literally had to drive. I guess he had like this little cute uh, convertible car and she literally had to drive up next to him and throw the papers into his car to serve him. And he went to court and he had to sell his beautiful little car to help pay for my medical bills is what the story is. But, you know, they both went on with their lives and um, I'll get into that a little bit later. But um, yeah, so that's what happened with my mom's story. And she really just felt like she didn't have a way, you know, she wanted to keep me, but she didn't couldn't figure out how. And now that my dad was out of the picture, she really had nothing. And so she had you know, thought about putting me up for adoption, but wasn't sure. She still wanted it to work it out if she could. And so that's when I went into foster care. And apparently from what she said, she would come see me once in a while. So the foster parents, I think, would come bring me back to the agency and um, she would visit with me off and on until she signed the relinquishment papers on May 23rd. Um. And then I was still in foster care until I believe it was June 10th that my parents actually um, was able to take me home. And a couple of the things that I do know that the agency lied about was, I wish I could remember the details, but my birth mother had some um, criteria that she wanted to make sure that the adoptive family had. And I mean, it wasn't anything that was going to make a huge difference, but it made a difference to her, to her, you know, these were the things that she, her wishes. And, uh, when she found me, she found out that the adoption agency said, yes, we found that family, you know, that fit your criteria, but it wasn't the case. And they also lied to my birth father because he had told me that the agency told him that. I had been taken to Texas, uh, had been taken with to, with a family to Texas, when in actuality, I lived in Fremont, California. My dad lived, ended up living in the Hayward area, which is very, very close to Fremont. I mean, very close. And then my birth mother lived in the San Francisco area, and that's also very close. So we all three were like, within, you know, probably 30 minutes of each other. Um, but my birth dad had been told that I had been taken out of state. So there were a lot of little things that the agency tries to tell people little white lies and that kind of thing. Um, but for the main part, it sounds like, um, the circumstances of my placement part of, obviously my mom was the one that told the story. My dad, um, when I finally did find him, my birth dad, he, uh, didn't really have any, he, it's almost like he didn't want to talk about it. And I often wondered because he's passed now, he's been gone for probably 
about five, six years, almost six years now, I believe. Um, he kind of, I was wondering if he still had that little voice of his mother in the back of his mind. And if he still wondered if I was his, and this was before our DNA tests and this and that. So I don't know. Um, but I, I just kind of had that feeling, although he was very friendly to me, um, I did meet him in person one time and we corresponded through letters at that time, snail mail. And, uh, I have pictures of him and this and that. So, um, he was very open as, but at the same time, not <laughs> like he didn't want to really t get into the nitty gritty of anything. He just wanted to be very on the surface, lighthearted about it, but he was very, very nice and welcoming. Um, that's what I could say about him. I'll get in. Uh, I don't really have a lot of history with him, so there's not much. I um, did find out that I have two half-sisters by him, and I have met both of them, and they live close uh, to me now. And um, I, as you heard in the letter, my birth mother had two sons that were my half-brothers as well. So I've met um, all of them and um, still in contact with most everybody. So for funsies, I'm going to post some pictures of my birth parents and you can decide if I look like either one of them. I have my opinions. I might've told you them in the first episode. I don't remember, but I will put that up on my Instagram and Facebook pages. If you would like to take a look at that, it's just interesting to me, um, you know, really not growing up looking like anybody. I was just like, it was so like interesting to see, um, some features and things that I could recognize in myself. So take a look at that. Um, but in reading this, reading these letters and kind of as I'm reading the book, The Primal Wound again, which I talked about in the first episode, that was the book that my mom, biological mom had given me um, about how adoption affects mostly, it's about how they it affects the child, but it does talk about the whole triad. But in reading the primal wound and reading this letter and seeing that, you know, here I was born March 22nd, but I didn't get placed until June 10th. And I was with foster people um, that I'm sure took very good care of me. But at the same time, how does that affect a baby? I mean, nowadays there's so much information on the psychology of mother and child and even right after birth that the child can recognize their mother's face even right away after they're born, which is just amazing. Obviously, it rec they can recognize the, their voice and that kind of thing too. Um, and we've all experienced, you know, holding somebody's baby and the baby cries and we give it back to the mother and the baby's just soothed right away. Well, what about the child that doesn't have that mother? I mean, they're with this stranger and that person that has been, they've been connected to this entire nine months um, and had, I'm sure the birth is traumatic for a baby. I mean, can you imagine you're like in this little warm water, you know, swimming pool all protected and all of a sudden what the heck is happening when you're born? And even though we don't remember our births, I do believe that those kind of things can be imprinted into our psyche and our cells. And so what does that do to the child in the long run? How does that 
imprinting effect them through their lives and even into adulthood because we have found that that does happen. So for me and just my story, I'm thinking, you know, so that was what, March, April, May, June, okay, almost three whole months that I kind of went back and forth because according to the letters, my mother would come or maybe it wasn't in the letter, but maybe she just told me that she would come see me. And so I go to these foster parents and then I come and I am with my birth mother again. And it's like, oh, that safe person, you know, um, probably like a sigh of relief as a baby, uh, you know, and then you're back to the strangers again. And then your mom can, mother can see you again. And then you're back, you know, and back and forth and back and forth. And I just wonder, and we'll get into the book a little bit um, coming up here, but what does that do to a baby? Like I said, I think because we don't remember being babies or being born or even anything, you know, before probably like the age of three, that those things don't affect us. And it's just not true. It's just scientifically not true. And so even if a baby is placed right after birth, that person is still a stranger to that baby, even though they are loved and cared for and given everything that they need. It's just not the same. It's not that person that has been your protection for nine months that you have grown to connect with. And basically you're, you're one with that person, with your birth mother, you're one with them. And so there's where that bond is. And so what happens when that bond is broken in such a traumatic way, nobody can explain to that baby what's happening. So the baby has to process that. And this is just a little baby. Like how does that get processed? What does that look like? And, it, you know, there's not a blueprint that every adopted baby, you know, this happens, that happens, or they act out in this certain way, but it's got to affect everything from that point on all their relationships. It has to affect them. In fact, it, it does, it does affect. And these are some of the things that do not get brought up when, adoptive parents are looking for to adopt a child. They don't know that this trauma has happened and possibly could affect their actions um, later on in life and affect how they relate to people. So I remember being super and I brought this up in my uh, Karma Files episodes that part of it, I think, too, was because I was so uh, sen spiritually sensitive, you know, sensitive to spirits, um, that I was always so scared. But I remember one time being terrified of this neighbor. And I know my mom will remember this. I want to say his name was Reggie or something. I don't know why I remember that. I could be wrong had this neighbor and he would come to the door and my mom would open the door and he would, they would talk at the door. And I just remember every time like hiding behind my mom's legs. And I was probably, I don't know, maybe three, I don't know. And four. And 
he would always say before he left, I'm going to take you home. I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to take you home. And I was terrified. So shooken that I, that he was going to take me, that he was going to take me from this mother, you know, now that I look back at it, it's like, the ter- I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified that I was going to get abandoned or taken away. And I know that neighbor didn't mean to scare me. That's not why he was saying that. He was just like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. I'm going to take you home, you know. But man, those words terrified me. I mean, just scared me to death. But that's, you know, one of my earliest memories um, that I could maybe connect back to that whole, you know, whole situation of being taken away um, as a baby from my birth mother, but, um, we're definitely going to dive a little deeper into all that as we go along here. Um, in the coming weeks, I'm hoping to have some guests on my adopted mother has decided that she would be a guest on the podcast. So we're going to have her recollection of, um, of her story and how they decided to adopt me and what happened and all that good stuff. So that'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks. And hopefully I will have some other stories of adoptees, um, maybe people that are looking for someone, um, birth mothers, adoptive parents, um, all kinds of perspectives and stories and things. I just really want to, I have just so many topics that I just want to break off into right now and <laughs> just like talk about, but I'm trying to pace myself here, Um, but there's just so much. So again, if you think that this podcast will help somebody or interest anybody that has been touched by adoption or thinking about it, please share this episode. If you've ever watched um, a show that was on, and I think there's reruns on now, but it was called Long Lost Family. That was a show about people using genealogy to find their lost loved ones. I kind of want that direction to be the direction of this podcast this season. So anyone that you know that might be adopted um, is somehow related in the adopted triad, birth mother, adoptive, parent, uh, sibling, somebody that's looking for somebody, please have them contact me because I would love to be part of a search for somebody. Um, We could put up all your information and get the word out. on the podcast platforms to help you find your loved ones. And I just want to make it clear that my mom and dad are my adoptive parents, even though it's kind of confusing and it's hard for me to talk about my biological family because sometimes I call them my mom and my dad, but they're not really what I consider my mom and my dad. So Um, hopefully that's not too confusing while I'm trying to tell stories because it's really hard to keep saying biological mom, biological dad, and, you know, adoptive mom and adoptive dad. So I truly consider my adoptive parents, my mom and dad. Um, and I just want to make that very clear. So, um, hopefully, like I said, that's not too confusing in the story. So I hope this gave a little food for thought about adoption and made you think a little bit. We will have more for you next week and uh, more of my story woven in here and there. 
So as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, can I ask you for a favor? Could you please leave a rating, comment, and share this podcast to friends, family, or to your social media pages? You have no idea how much these little gestures help get the word out about this podcast. Don't forget to click the subscribe tab to get notified of future episodes so you won't miss a thing. You can also find my Instagram and Facebook links in the show notes if you would like to follow and support me there as well. Lastly, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Adoption Chronicles season of the podcast, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.